All right, you may be seated. So the first uh, scripture is Psalm 71, and we're going to come back to this psalm. Psalm is a really dirty page in my Bible because I'm <laughs> I've been there enough times. I'm not saying that because I'm spiritual. I'm saying that because it's a favorite psalm that I love to refer to, and because it's a great psalm for me to get my head straight. Um, at my age, and some years ago when I started. Um, reading it and coming to um, be familiar with it. Now, I'm going to read through this psalm as our scripture, but we're going to read through it again as we go through the sermon, okay? So, um, I'll just prepare you for that. We're going to do it twice. So, this first reading, uh, uh, we're going to go through it, and then we're going to come back. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. You have given commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the grasp of the wrongdoer and ruthless man. For you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my confidence from my youth. By you I have been sustained from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have become a marvel to many, for you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies have spoken against me, and those who watch for my life have consulted together, saying, God has forsaken him, pursue and seize him, for there is no one to deliver. O God, do not be far from me, O my God, hasten to my help. Let those who are adversaries of my soul be ashamed and consumed. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek to injure me. But as for me, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the sum of them. I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me, until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again and will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. May you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. I will also praise you with a harp, even your truth, O my God. To you I will sing praises with the lyre. O Holy One of Israel, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you and my soul which you have redeemed. 
My tongue also will utter your righteousness all day long, for they are ashamed, for they are humiliated, who seek my hurt. And then we go over to Second Timothy and read the last part of chapter 4, starting at verse 6. For I am ready, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is of useful service to me. But Tychius I have given, I have sent to Ephesus. When you bring, when you come, bring the cloak which I left in Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and all then that all the Gentiles might hear, and I might be—I re- was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick in Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. You Eubulius greets you, also Prudence, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord is with your spirit. Grace be with you. So there the Apostle Paul is talking about dying, and in the same breath, he's talking about all he is doing. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your truth and that you would be our teacher and that you would be exalted. Uh, We thank you, Jesus, that you um, came among us to to teach. And we thank you, Father, that you're a God who speaks and who loves your children. And we pray that you would love us up real good right now. And bless us in the knowledge of your truth and your help us to see your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I already mentioned that what I'm preaching on this morning is important to everyone. So that anyone who might be young and think, well, uh, Paul is about to die, but I'm not there. How do you know you're not? Okay, right. Anyway, you don't. Anyway, so Paul is talking and busy, right? Anyway, 
And then uh, David, I think, probably is the one who gives us this psalm. And he is, uh, um, he's, he's got an agenda also for his latter years as far as the work he's going to do. It was a number of years ago that even though I've read this psalm, I know many times because I've read through the Bible a number of times, even though I've read this psalm many times, there was a verse in this psalm that attracted me a few years ago that I had never uh, thought I'd never heard before and never noticed before. And uh, I'll say a little bit more about it later, but it's this psalm, it's the verse 21. Turn to comfort me. And I'll tell you a story later on. But as I looked at that verse, and then I started studying the context of that verse, and then I started studying the whole psalm, this psalm is just, uh, it's just full of help and encouragement to you and me in just so many ways. And so what I want to do is I want us to just to work through this psalm, and you may want to work through it on your own too, but it's just uh, besides the little cross-references I have that are, my Bible has anyway, I've got these other references here because of the counsel that this psalm gives me. Because just like you, I go through times of discouragement. I go through times of doubt. I go through times of problems. I go through times of challenges and all these different things and and wondering about things. And this psalm just comes to us with so much counsel and so much help. So we're going to walk through this psalm. We're going to sort of do an overview. And then I'm going to two important lessons from the psalm. And then I want to deal with aspects of a life well lived or finishing well. So we're going to the title of the sermon is A Life Well Lived or Finishing Well. And so all of us want to have that life that is well lived and we all want to finish well. All right? So let's look at verses 1 through 6. Here is the, David uh, needing help against his enemies. And here he talks about how, how God is a help to him. So look at these verses. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Never, never let me be ashamed. So something is dealing with him so that he is seeing God at his refuge. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. So he's crying out to God for help, and he sees God as, who, as his salvation. Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come, you have given commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Now, how did David know that God had given commandment to save him? Well, he knew this because God loved him, because he was his child. See, you and I can say that too. I'm not going to preach on that this morning, but that'll preach. That there is a, there, God is going to take care of us. And so David just presumes, I know that you've given a commandment to save me one way or another. You and I can say the same thing. And there's all kinds of other verses I won't give you but that, that uh, support this in other places. 
Verse 4, Rescue me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the grasp of the wrongdoer and ruthless man. So he recognizes he has evil. Maybe these were people in his court. Maybe these were foreign people. Maybe you have people like this at work. Maybe you have relatives like this. Maybe you have supposed friends like this that you, they're ruthless. For you are my hope, O my God. You are my confidence from my youth. So, you know, it's not anything new. He had trusted in the Lord for some time. And by you I've been sustained from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb, and my praise is continually of you. So David here acknowledges that God has been with him and has been a help to him all his life. Now, in verses 7 through 11, he, uh, he's already dealt with the fact that God's his help and his hope. And in verses 7 through 11, he's sort of given us a picture of what he's going through right now, the current state of things, okay? The first thing is he has a pretty good reputation. I have become a marvel to many, for you are my strong refuge. So in other words, there was a reputation that he was relatively successful in some area. Okay, Others knew about this, and, yet, and he gave God all the credit for it. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. In other words... Uh, some people think that this was written by a person who was already old and a lot of times the Bibles will say uh, a psalm for you in your old age or written by an old man or something like that. But it, what he's doing is he is anticipating that time when he will be old. Okay, He's anticipating that time and he knows that in that time people lose their physical strength. Uh, and if anybody wants a warning... Uh, I can talk to you about metabolism, muscle loss, and all those kinds of things, okay? But anyway, he's saying, Do not cast me off in old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies have spoken against me, and those who watch for my life have consulted together, saying, God is forsaking him. Pursue and seize him, for there is no one to deliver. So maybe you've had people like that at times. You've had enemies at work, maybe even in the church, people that you have known that saw that you were down and out and they couldn't be more happy than if you were uh, just, you know, destroyed in that particular situation and they were glad that hard times had come to you. Now, in the next verses, he prays for God to deal with his enemies in verses 12 through 16, okay? O God, do not be far from me. O my God, hasten to my help. Let those who are adversaries of my soul be ashamed and consumed. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek to injure me. But as for me, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, so I, for I do not know the sum of them. I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. So he says, okay, Lord, go ahead and deal with my enemies. Deal with them. As for me... I am going to declare your righteousness. I am going to be faithful to you. I'm going to serve you. Come hell or high water, I'm your man, and I'm going to honor you. And, I, and all that's in the context of his grace and wanting the Lord's help. And now, the main portion of what we're going to study is in these verses that come next. In verses 17 through uh, 21. So now he's got his game plan. Okay, so and now he's got his prayer requests. Okay, so what does he what 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 does he pray about? What? Okay, so he sees I'm I'm right now. This is where I am now. 
Over here is when I'm going to die. What, what is it I want to accomplish? What is it I want to do during that time? O oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. He wants to make God's known. He wants to honor God with his life from that time on until he dies. For your righteousness, O oh God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again. Remember, he's down, so he's anticipating God. You will revive me and will bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Right? So the apostle Peter says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. And a lot of times we go through life and we say, Okay, God, I got the part down that I'm humbled and I'm because I am down, but I'm waiting for you to raise me up at the proper time. So David here recognizes that he is going to be raised up at the proper time. You have shown me many troubles and distresses, will revive me again from the depths of the earth. And then he prays what you and I would probably not expect. May you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. And then, and then he um, talks about the praise that he will give to God as one who has been blessed by him in verses 22 through 24. Now, to understand some of the lessons here and the aspects of this psalm, the two introductory lessons here. The first introductory lesson is that this is a broken world. We live in a broken world. And that that's not um, too hard to figure out or too hard to see and that's something that you and I believe but troubles problems painful suffering these things are a part of our lives and if you look at those scripture references after that first point uh, incline your ear to save me for my enemies have spoken against me let those who are adversaries of my soul uh, verse uh, 20 uh, Bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Verse 24, For they are ashamed, for they are humiliated who seek my hurt. So we live in a broken world. There are people who oppose the church. There are people who oppose us individually as Christians. There is opposition. That's just a lesson in fact. But it's not just something as a fact to put away. It's uh, in our thinking or to catalog it's a fact so that we can respond to the brokenness of the world and the problems that face us as the psalmist here does. The second lesson is that at every age in our lives we are to walk with the Lord and have our life in Him. At every age in our lives we are to walk with the Lord and have our life in Him. There are times that treat children as though it's okay that they disobey the Lord because it's just children. It's cool, it's okay if teens dis, uh, disobey the Lord because they're teens. After all, they're teens. Or maybe it's the age of young adults. Well, they're young adults. Or maybe it's the age of the elderly. They're 
elderly. And so we come up with all these excuses for all these different age categories, and none of them are legitimate. None of them are legitimate. None of them are legitimate. When is it right to be faithful to the Lord? When is it right to live and to walk with the Lord and have our life in Him and follow Him? When is it right to do this? The answer is all the time at every age. And so this is what the psalmist is saying here. This is his testimony. Look at verse 5. You are my hope. You are my confidence. Verse 6. I have been sustained by you from my birth. You who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. In other words, he sees himself as living in fellowship with Christ. He sees himself living in fellowship with God throughout his life. Verse 17. You taught me in my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And then, and then he prays about what he calls old age. This isn't a child or an elderly person who is simply a member of the church and shows up on Sunday. This is a person who has a personal relationship with the Lord in worship and learning and growing and serving, obeying, enjoying, repenting, all these different things. That's who we're reading about here. Some say maybe it was Jeremiah, some David. I'm leaving more toward David as the author of it. Now, let's look at what I'm calling five aspects of a life well lived or finishing well. Five aspects of a life well lived or finishing well. The first one is that we would be those who are an avid worshiper of the Lord. That we are that we are intent upon giving God worship. You know, we come to church, and a lot of times we think about church. Well, I hope I go and get something out of it. I hope so, so-and-so gets something out of it. Well, I hope we all come and get something out of it too. But I hope we also come recognizing that it's we are there to worship. We are there to ascribe worth and value and to give and to be in awe of God. And so we ought to be in awe of Him. Reading our Bibles in our home, reading our Bibles as family, uh, worshiping the Lord as His people, we should be in awe of Him. Uh, studying the sovereignty of God in Sunday school, yes, we want to understand the facts of God's sovereignty, but we don't want to just become some kind of theological workbook. We want to be those who are in awe of Him and humbled before Him and our hearts are lifted up in praise because we know what we know about Him. And so the a life well lived and finishing well in our lives means first that we will be avid worshipers of the Lord. And so this is what you see Him in verse 19. For your righteousness reaches to the heavens. You are Him who have done great words. O God, who is like you? It's like I've run out of words. I've run out of words. Who is like you? You see where his heart is. And then in verse 22, I will praise you with a harp, even your truth, O oh my God. To you I will sing praises with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. Now, maybe you haven't had harp lessons and you don't play a musical instrument, but you, see, you know what it means. It means we want to praise him. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, and my soul 
which you have redeemed. It's like Chuck and Shirley thanking God for the years that he had given them. This is, this is bringing him into our thanksgiving from day to day in our regular conversations with people. My tongue also will utter your righteousness all day long. So we want to be these worshipers of the Lord. No matter our age, anything else happening in our lives, we are called to worship Him. Worship Him. I heard a story this week of a, of a child who told his mother, a young child, I, he told his mother, he said, I don't understand, Mom, why it is we don't spend more time at church. And she said, "Why? what are you talking about? What, what do you mean why we don't spend more time at church? He said, well, we do Sunday school and we do worship. And I just think as great as God is, maybe we could spend more time giving him worship. Anyway, the Lord, the kid, is on the right track. Secondly, the second aspect of a life well lived or finishing well is that we have an un, we are an unashamed voice for the Lord. We are an unashamed voice for the Lord. Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in His glory the Father with the holy angels. We know David was not ashamed to declare God's glory. We should not be ashamed either. And neither is the psalmist here. Look at verse 8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Verse 14. But as for me, my hope is continually with you and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all day long. It doesn't mean that he didn't talk about other things, but there was a God consciousness in his living and in his thinking and in his speech that God was, was manif that manifested itself in his conversation. Verse 16. I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. And then in verse 17 and 18, he says uh, he wants to declare God's wondrous works. You see that in the last part of 17. And in verse 18, even when I am old and gray, I don't want to be on a shelf. I don't want to be shut up. I don't want to be sitting around eating my oatmeal and watching uh, the news show on TV. I want to be that man who is going to be declaring your strength to this generation and your power to all who are to come. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Here's a guy who doesn't want, here's a guy who wants to live. I remember a few years ago some of us lost a friend and his children said, send me some scripture verses to my daddy. He, wants to, he doesn't want to die yet. He wants to hold on. Send me some scripture verses. And some of the verses I sent were like this one. And this is David crying out, Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Here's somebody 
who's, who's fearful of death from enemy sickness or something else. But anyway, he doesn't want to die. He wants to live, and he's arguing with God. He says, here, God's my case. If I can live, I can still confess you. I can, if, if, if I die, you're going to have one less person out there that's giving you glory and living for you, and I want to, I want to, I want to hang in there. Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? No, let me live that I might give you praise. Some of us might think to ourselves, well, you know, a guy like this, that makes sense. You know, this, is, this, this, is, this makes sense. You think about a person who's a preacher. You think about somebody. The preacher's got time to think about all this stuff. He's got time. It makes sense that these psalms would be given to us here and in other places by the preacher or the minister. Well, that's not who wrote the psalms. It's not the preacher. It's not the minister. No, if David, when he wrote these psalms of praise about how he was going to live, what is, who is David? Here are his occupations. He was a politician. He was a government official. He was a songwriter. He was a soldier. He was a man familiar with the arts. He was a man and familiar with management, trade and commerce, agriculture, and foreign affairs. That's who he was. So we can't hide behind the idea of, well, this isn't the real world like I live in. Number three, a life well lived and finishing well means an assured and confident follower of the Lord. An assured and confident follower of the Lord. Last part of verse three. You have given commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. We're God's. Because we're wonderful and we hold on? No, because He is wonderful and He's made us His. You are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have made for me, for you are my strength. Look at verse 5. You are my hope. You are my confidence from my youth. In verses 13 and 14, he talks about those who are his enemies. But he says he will trust in the Lord. The Lord will be his confidence. He's been through a lot. He's been through rough times. He has his enemies. But what does he expect? He has confidence in the Lord that he's going to be brought out of it in verse 20. You have shown me many troubles and distresses. Will revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. This is a confidence that you and I can have, that the Lord is with us in whatever troubles that we are going through. And the Lord will be our salvation in the midst of those troubles or else He'll work on those troubles and deliver us from them and improve the situation we're in. We live well, we finish well as those who have confidence in the Lord. Number four, we have an active and fully employed, engaged worker for the Lord. An active, fully employed, engaged worker for the Lord. I described the various roles of David's life uh, who gave us many of the Psalms. We, uh, we have different uh, occupational roles that David uh, had. And we try to think uh, practically about these in other occupation. 
So how do we do this in our own lives? God gives to us callings and gifts and abilities, no matter what we do or who we are. Homemaker, scientist, minister, whatever it is that we do, whatever occupation that we have, God places us in various roles and responsibilities. We have multiple roles and multiple responsibilities. Husband, wife, parent, child, friends, brothers, sisters in Christ, citizens of a community and nation. We are part of organizations and clubs and communities, even communities that are connected throughout even the Internet. And what David says here is, He's saying that we are to have, we are to live a life that is actively engaged in living for the Lord, a life that is fully employed and fully engaged in for the Lord, no matter what it is that we do. And he references here that time in his life, in verse 18, when he is older, and he references it in verse 9 as though he doesn't have the physical strength that he would want. So what's his, what's his plan for how he's going to serve the Lord in his older years? And even when I am old and gray, verse 18, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. As David got older, he did not think like people think today. After I retire, my time is mine. I've earned it. It's my time. That's our culture. And that is also probably the mentality of 90% of the people in the church today. People have unsuspectedly adopted the mentality of the world in regard to retirement. I sat in my office a few years ago and two deacons sat in front of me believing the doctrines of grace and everything else. And they had gone through the whole route of retirement from a couple of jobs and one thing or another and they sat there and looked at me in the face and they said Pete when you retire that's your time when you retire it's whatever you want to do you have earned it it's it's yours I didn't know whether to throw up or reach across the room and smack them or something where does this junk come from where does the stupidity of this stuff come from? That's what Paul said, right? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but except for those years toward the end of my life, and that's when I can do whatever I want to do because I've earned it. It's all about me during that period that the government says it's time for me to retire. Then it's about me. Jesus says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world until such time that you get older. And then you enter into that time of retirement. And then it's about you. It's about you. That's a bunch of garbage. But that's our culture and that's the thought of many in the church. Don't anyone in this room look forward 
to a future time when it's all about you. It's basic in our understanding as Christians that life is never all about us. And old age is a time to live with purpose, with goals, with plans. It's a time to live with purpose and goals and plans and projects for the kingdom of God, for ministry to others, for, for the creation mandate of Jesus and or God saying in Genesis 1 that, that we are to subdue all of creation to Him. We continue to be workers for the Lord throughout our days. Look at Moses. At 80 years old, he returns to Egypt. And what does he begin to do in Egypt? For 40 years, he's going to be leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. He starts at 80 years old. Look at Abraham and Sarah. At 75, he and Sarah were having sexual relations, praying for a kid, and God promises them, yep, you're going to have one. And 25 years later, they are still claiming that promise, having intercourse, and God causes a child to be conceived. Psalm 92 says, The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of God. They will flourish in the courts of the Lord. They will still yield fruit in old age. They will be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. God's people never retire. They never quit. They change their jobs. They change their circumstances. They change their responsibilities. They change their work. They change their activities. But they continue to be light and salt and confess Christ in all of life. That's finishing well. That is finishing well. That's a life well lived. Number five. Number five is an ambitious and expectant believer in the Lord. This is finishing well. An expectant and an ambitious and expectant believer in the Lord. Some of you probably think that ambition is opposed to being a Christian or as opposed to Christian humility. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. That's, that's, that's just the devil telling you, quit trying. Quit trying to improve. Quit trying something new. No. No, 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 no. Look at verse 21. May you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. That's the verse I said that got me going. So, I was driving to church one Sunday morning, and uh, Brenda would come later, and I had to go early because we had prayer meeting, one thing and another. And I was by myself, and so I played some scripture to listen to the scripture to try to get my heart and uh, better composed to worship, lead worship and all. And this Psalm 71 was the psalm I heard. And I heard this verse 20 as though I had, uh, verse 21, I heard this verse, it was like the first time I'd ever heard it in my life. And I'm thinking, increase my greatness. So then I got to church and we got gathered for the prayer meeting and a couple of guys were there to pray and I was there. 
And I said, hey, guys, I was listening to a psalm this morning. And uh, the psalmist prays, um, may you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. And uh, one of them looked at the other one and said to him, could you pray that? And the other one immediately said, no, I can never pray that. And he said, rightly so. Well, why not? If it's in the Bible and the psalmist is praying it, why couldn't you pray it? And he caught the guy off guard because the guy, I think, you know, you know, the humble thing to say, oh, far be it from me to pray anything like that. Right? Well, that's, not what, that's not what David is praying here, and that's not what the psalmist prays. And Jesus says that when David spoke this, or whoever the psalmist was that wrote it, he did so by the Holy Spirit. So what does he mean here? Maybe it was a time that Absalom was on his case. Maybe it's tied to verse 18. Maybe, maybe he wanted to win over Absalom. Maybe it's tied to a future project he had, like verse 18. When I'm old and gray, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who come. Right now I'm beaten down, but help me to get a whole lot better, and then I can really, you know, get out there and, and get the word out and declare your glory. Now, some of us have heard, maybe all of us have heard of the prosperity of the gospel. The prosperity gospel says that it's not God's will for anyone to be sick and for everyone to, be, to obtain wealth. It isn't true, but because it isn't true and because it is something false that people present, a lot of people go the other way. They go the other way and they say, well, I'm, we, we, we can't expect great blessing or we can't look for stuff like that because... We need to be more humble. We need to be more, we need to, we, we just need to be more humble. And so they've overreacted. And they don't want big things. They don't want blessings, right? Do you want, do you want really big things for God? Do you really want big things for Him? Well, God wants big things. He wants the, the number of people who are His people to be as the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of sand out there. That's pretty big. He tells us to go into all the world and make nations of disciples of him. That's pretty big stuff. That's pretty big. We need to be thinking about what we want that's big. That's a real problem in the old PC, I think. Some people talk about our smallness. We're a small little group, and we're a small little church, and we're a small little denomination, and we're a small this, and we're a small that. And it's almost like we're more spiritual because we're small. That's stupid. Don't you want greater blessings? You pray for your grandkids or your children in school? What do you pray for? Lord, give them C's. God forbid that they get A's. Is that what you pray? Or do you want big things? Do you want them to do well? We pray for people who in their health. Do we pray, heal them of their cholesterol, but allow them to keep their rheumatoid arthritis? Is that how we pray? No, we pray for health, right? We pray for big things. We as a church and we as an individuals need to pray for big things. We need to pray for God's blessing. We pray your will be done and all these things, but we pray for His blessings. I remember teaching this psalm one time in a Bible study a few years ago. 
And I pointed out this verse. And immediately a lady said, you better be careful about praying for big things because when you do, many times God will bring trials upon you. And I say, okay, I didn't say this to her. I just sort of kept my mouth shut and thought, that's stupid. But what I could have said was, okay, so you're saying that God wants us to pray for big things and he says, pray for big things and I'll get them to you because I want to really put some bad stuff on you. Is that my loving Heavenly Father? Yeah, he may put us through the trials. He may put us through the troubles and stuff like that. But when he gives us this to pray for big things, to be expectant, to be ambitious for him and for his kingdom and for his glory, sure there's going to be problems. We live in a world of chaos and, and fallenness. It's a broken world. That was our first point. But that doesn't mean we lose our, our desire for big things. And it doesn't mean we have a view of God that somehow if he blesses us, then it's something bad. Here's what Spurgeon says. As a king, David grew in influence and power. God did great things for him and by him, and this is all the greatness believers want. Many have faith in God such as these words events, or have not faith. May we have faith. Listen to Psalm 81. Just listen to this. Listen to see whether God wants to bless his people. Just listen. Is God stingy or does God really want to bless his people? But my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices so that my people would uh, oh that my people would listen to me that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him and the time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Charles Bridges is quoted in Matt Perman's book What's Best Next? In his commentary on Proverbs 3.18 he writes Do not despise the day of small things from Zechariah 4.10 but do not be satisfied with it either. Aim higher and you... That sounds like some motivational speaker, right? We could put that on the road and fill up the Hampton Coliseum. We could uh, do all... Well, Puritans, many of these guys, they were very optimistic in regard to the gospel. And we need to be ambitious and we need to be expectant as well. Was this guy in this psalm ambitious and expectant. Look at what he says in verse 18. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength in this generation, your power to all who are to come. That was his goal. That was his goal. He had steps to get there and part of it was praying and all these other kind of stuff. He had his all these little things. He was a goal setter and that was his goal and he was looking for the Lord to bless him. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love you. We thank you that you're generous. You're not stingy. And we realize that a lot of times our warped understanding of life is because we, we don't uh, give ourselves to understanding you and who you are and all these good things. We thank you that you love us, that you're with us. We thank you that you're our confidence, that we can 
live lives, we can have lives of value as we serve you. Even though the world around us thinks that we're foolish and stupid and wasting our life and our time and our energy. Nevertheless, you see us attempting to live for you and serve you in whatever capacity we find ourselves, in whatever relationships we have. And you are pleased. And so, Lord, be our help because there's a bunch of trouble and there's a bunch of problems and there's a bunch of stuff to fight against. And we are weak and we, we need your help and we cry out for your help. But we pray, Lord, that you would make us, uh, that you would increase our greatness, that you would increase the greatness of every person in this, in this room, that you would increase the greatness of this church, that you would do it for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.